We are going to read in the book of Revelation here that there is going to be a temple that is going to be rebuilt. There's no temple in Jerusalem. The uh, last temple, the second temple, was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans. Uh, The Israelis were taken, uh, the Jews, and scattered throughout all the nations, just as Jesus said would happen. And then they came back into the land, and in 1948, they became a nation, an absolute miracle, just as God predicted would happen that they would come back not from just one captivity back into the land, but they would come back from two captivities, the Babylonian captivity, and then this one that lasted 2,000 years. They became a nation back in their original homeland. That started the end time hour clock. Tick, tick, tick. Jerusalem, they say, those who study end time prophecy, is the minute hand. And then when President Trump declared Jerusalem, and others have followed the capital of Israel, Jerusalem's going to be a cup of trembling to all the nations. So that's the minute hand. The second hand is the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount area, that 35 acres of the most disputed land in all of the world. And the Bible tells us that there is going to be a temple that's going to be rebuilt. And we'll talk more about it as we go through the book of Revelation. But when we're, we know that they have been, some of us that have gone to Israel, we've gone through what is called the Temple Institute where they're making the garments and they have the furnishings ready to go. They just need a building. And if we're hearing about the temple and we're seeing these things, you know, that are before our eyes, how close are we to the rapture of the church? We are in very unique times And a lot of Christians do not have any understanding of end-time prophecy. And I know there's different, you know, views and perspectives. But I think that as we continue here through the book of Revelation, chapter 4, that we're going to get a good understanding of what is going to take place that leads to the second coming of Jesus Christ and the millennium reign of Jesus Christ that is spoken of all throughout the Bible. So in Revelation chapter 4... As we start, and why don't we pray, Lord, we do ask that you just bless this time in the study of your word. And, and Lord, kind of a long introduction, but it's so important for us as Christians as we go through this third section that is yet future, that, that Jesus would rebuke the religious leaders because they weren't discerning. They could discern the weather, but not the coming of the Son of Man. And we want to be wise and discerning and occupy till you come. And Lord, um, to, to know that we are in a generation that is so unique. We're in a generation where you have your people Israel back in the land, a nation again, in the church. That hasn't happened for 2,000 years. And that is so significant. Because you have a plan for the church. You have a plan for Israel, as we talked about on Sunday in Romans 11. And Lord, we are here for such a time as this. And when we see things going on around us that, um, Lord, concern us, and um, Lord, we can get upset and we wonder what's going on and things are changing so fast. But Lord, that you're on the throne, even as we're going to read here tonight, that you're on the throne And you're in control, and your promises are going to come to pass for us. And Lord, that Jesus is going to come and get us. 
And so, Lord, we look forward to that day. In the meantime, what manner of men and women ought we to be? We need to be in the scriptures. Even as Paul told Timothy, when it's going to be perilous times, and evil men and imposters are going to grow worse and worse, that, Timothy, you need to continue in the Holy Scriptures. That's what we need to do. We need to be in prayer. We need to be in fellowship. Not be lazy about, Lord, just our spiritual walk and being used of you, but to take what you've given to us and be good stewards of it. And, Lord, you want to use us in this church. So, Lord, tonight I just pray that our hearts would be stirred as we look at Revelation chapter 4, and we aren't going to get through it all because there's so much. But, Lord, as we begin to, that you would just, Lord, give us just excitement in our hearts and comfort and peace because heaven is real. And we're going to be all together in heaven someday. I look forward to that. So just, Lord, bless this time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So remember this, that the key to understanding the book of Revelation is given to us in the outline of Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, right? John there in chapter 1, that he's told, write the things which you have seen. That's chapter 1, as he saw the glorified Lord uh, uh, there standing in the midst of seven uh, golden lampstands. And then he was told to write the things which are, that's chapters 2 and 3, that we took our time going through the seven letters to the seven churches. And it was so valuable to us to go through it because we see what pleases Jesus in our lives in this church, the things that they were commended in. And then also we saw the things that they were rebuked about and corrected about. And we want to know, Lord, these things do not please you. I don't want them taking place in my life and we don't want it taking place in our church. So we learned so much. It was so applicable as we went through chapters 2 and 3. I hope you were blessed. I know that I was looking at it again. But then thirdly, write the things that will take place after this. This is the Greek word metatata, after the church things, after the church age. As we read in chapter 4, verse 1, after these things, metatata, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here and I will show you things that must take place metatata after these things. So now from chapter 4 to the end of the book, that's all future. Chapters 4 and 5, we have this heavenly scene that we're going to be looking at. And then we will see in chapters 6 through 18, that period of time that's called Daniel's 70th week from Daniel chapter 9, uh, the prophecy of the 70 weeks of Daniel that are so critical for us to understand. They get a timetable table of end time prophecy. So there's a seven year period that is going to be called the tribulation period, Daniel's 70th week that is described to us in chapters 6 through 18 of the book of Revelation. And as we go through it, there's going to be all kinds of things that we're going to see. We're going to see the Antichrist being revealed. We're going to see the seals being opened up. We're going to see the trumpet judgments, the bull judgments, the 144,000 that are going to go out and evangelize. We're also going to see the two witnesses, the temple being mentioned, Israel being persecuted, the rise of the Antichrist who has a, 
a uh, partner with him who is called the false prophet, his rise, what his role is, all kinds of things that we're going to be seeing that's going to be taking place during that time. And then chapter 19 is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And then chapter 20, the millennium reign, a thousand year reign of Christ here on this earth. We're going to rule and reign with him. And then the great white throne judgment. And then chapters 21 and 22, the new heaven and the new earth and Jerusalem. So looking at this chapter, it should excite us about living for God and that we should prioritize, as we read, that here's John taken up into heaven and he's going to be describing to us the one on the throne, what takes place around the throne, and then who's in front of the throne as we will move into chapter 5. And understand this, that heaven is real. And you and I as Christians should have uh, an eternity, uh, an eternal perspective that is, prioritize eternity. Because we are going to be here. This is real for you and for me. And how exciting it is to know that we have the promise of heaven because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And it is my hope and prayer that as we look at John being caught up into heaven, knowing that we are going to see this heavenly place, that it would cause our hearts and thoughts to be caught up into heaven, looking for that day when we see the one that's on the throne. As Christians, every single one of us should long for heaven. I can't wait to see my Lord. And I love one of my favorite verses there in Jude. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless before his presence with exceeding joy. And one day that we're going to be presented before the Father in his presence, spotless, blameless, because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And the Father and the Son are going to rejoice over you. And it's going to be a wonderful time when we're all here together in this new song that we're going to sing, Heaven is Real. And that's why Paul would write in Colossians, set your, things on the, or your mind on the things above, not on the things of this world. Listen, this world is not our hope. We are in the world. You know, we have businesses, we have jobs, we have family, we have things that we love to do. But do not prioritize this world because this world is going to come to a disastrous end. Our hope is in the Lord. And I'll tell you this. I've reminded you of this and I'm going to tell you over and over again of this that when we become Christians, it isn't that Jesus is added to our life, but he is our life. He is everything in every area of our lives. And as you make him truly the priority of your life, in every area of your life, every single day, you're going to enjoy the things that you do more than you ever could in your own strength and energy and trying to muster it up and strive and strain in all this. Whether it comes to, you know, your spouse, your family, it comes to your job, your business, whatever the case may be, your hobbies, things you enjoy. You know, it's going to be springtime. I know we're going to get out and we love doing things, but let him be the priority of your life. Because heaven is real and we're going to be in heaven. And I'm looking forward to that day when we're all together. You know, we're going to come to the communion table. And the Lord said that, you know, with his disciples in that upper room, he said that I won't take a communion with you again. I won't have this with you again until we're all together in the kingdom. And one day we all will be together at the marriage feast of the Lamb, you know, having supper with the Lord 
And we'll talk about that as we continue through the book of Revelation. But it's interesting here that in verse 1 that I've read to you, that John describes a door standing open in heaven. It's not a gate. Uh, We hear jokes about gates and, you know, St. Peter at the gate and all this. John here describes a door. And, of course, it reminds me of what Jesus said. Remember last time in the church of Laodicea that he would say to them, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone opened the door, then I will come in and sup with him and and fellowship with him and he with me. He's talking about that fellowship. He desires for us to open up the door of our hearts to him. And as we do that, there's going to be a door uh, to heaven that is opened up to you and to me because of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us because we've surrendered our lives to him. So you remember that Jesus would make that proclamation in John's gospel that I am the door, singular, There's no other doors. Are we clear on that? Because there are those who come along and say, you Christians, how can you say that there's only one way to heaven? Jesus said it. That I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's a very simple statement to understand, but it's also a very exclusive statement. And that word exclusive is not a popular word today. When we're in a culture that's inclusive and, and tolerable on everything and, and many people that are buying into the lie that there's many roads to heaven, many ways to God, there's you know different ways to worship God, it is through Jesus Christ. He said, I am the door. There's another door. Anybody that tries to come in any other way is a thief and a robber is what he would say. So as he says here, after these things, meditata, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here, and I will show you things that must take place after this. The first voice which I heard of a trumpet, it should ring a bell with us. You recall that John exiled to the island of Patmos. In chapter 1, he writes, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last. So the voice that John hears like a trumpet saying, come up here. So I believe that the voice here John is hearing is, to me, could speak uh, and point to, obviously, of Jesus. Come up here, and I will show you things that must take place after this, as immediately, he says in verse 2, that I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one who sat on the throne. So as he was immediately in the Spirit, now that word immediately in the Greek means at once. I was in the Spirit, and now John is before the throne of God. Now, there are Bible teachers that will say that here, Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, is the rapture of the church. And you see, although we see John caught up in heaven, he hears a voice come up here. Uh, I don't believe we can say that this is specifically a reference to the rapture of the church because John was not actually translated. He's still in his body on the island of Patmos. He is in the spirit. He was shown this scene of heaven temporarily. Remember in Ezekiel, if you've read the book of Ezekiel, 605 BC, Daniel goes off into Babylon. He's serving in the palace of Nebuchadnezzar. The second wave of captivity happens in 597 BC. Ezekiel is taken off into captivity. 
Jeremiah remains in Jerusalem. He's prophesying. And then Babylon came in in 586 and destroyed the first temple in Jerusalem. But Ezekiel, when he was in Babylon, he was sitting with the elders of Israel. And then the spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven, as we read, and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem. He's still in Babylon, but in the spirit in Jerusalem. He saw the abominations of Jerusalem and the glory that would depart from the temple. But with that said, it may not be specific, explicit reference to the rapture, but I do believe that it is a picture of the rapture of the church. Now, when we talk about the return of the Lord, there are two distinct events. And I know that most of you know this, but some of you may be new to end time prophecy. And I get emails, I get calls on this. They're confused. What's the difference between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Jesus Christ? We know that the rapture of the church is going to take place when he's going to come for his church. We know that that's given to us in 1 Thessalonians. Uh, many of you, you know the verse. Write it down if you don't. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. So the rapture of the church is when he comes for his church. When there's going to be a generation of Christians that are going to be raptured. Some people say the rapture isn't in the Bible. The word rapture is not there. It is in the Latin Bible. It's the Greek word harpazo, caught up here when you read in, in verse 17 that those who are alive and remain shall be caught up. Harpazo means a sudden taking. It's the Latin word rapturus, where we get our English word, what? Rapture. So it is in the Bible. It's taught. And here Paul says that this, this mystery, I want you to know about the resurrection. I want you to understand this. There's going to be a time when a generation of Christians are going to be taken to meet the Lord in the air and comfort one another with these words. We know that even Jesus talked about that in John chapter 14 in the upper room discourse. Remember, he said to his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. So he says the day is going to come where I'm going to come receive you to myself similar to meet the Lord in the air and then I'm going to take you to heaven. That where I am there you're going to be also. We're going to be with the Lord during that time. The second coming of Jesus Christ is when he comes back with his church. When he comes back physically, literally, and we're going to come back with him, as we will read in, in Revelation chapter 19. And we're going to be riding white horses, and he will touch down on the Mount of Olives. The book of Zechariah says that the Mount of Olives will heave in half, and then he will judge the nations. He'll restore the kingdom of, of, uh, of the nation of Israel, and he'll uh, usher in his kingdom, and we're going to rule and reign with him. The second coming of Jesus Christ takes place at the end of the tribulation period. 
No question about it. We know that the Bible is very clear. You know, understand this, that the tribulation period is the most documented period of history in all of the Bible. Do you know that? It's the most documented period of time in all of the Bible. And it's given to us in detail. At the end of that seven years, three and a half years after the abomination of desolation, that we'll discuss what that's all about when the Antichrist goes into the rebuilt temple and he proclaims himself as God, the second coming of Jesus Christ will come. The rapture of the church, when is the rapture going to take place? Well, there's different debate that takes place. There are some who say that the rapture will take place at the end of the tribulation period. There are those who believe that perhaps the rapture will take place in the middle of the tribulation period. There are those who call themselves pre-wrath tribulationists, that somewhere two-thirds through the tribulation period, right before the bull judgments are pulled out, that's when the rapture of the church is going to happen. There are those who believe that the rapture is going to happen before the tribulation period begins, and that is the view that I hold to, and I make no apologies for it. The longer that I study Scripture, the more that I'm convinced that the scripture is telling us that the rapture of the church, there's no prophecy that needs to be fulfilled for the rapture of the church to happen. And that's why when you read those verses from Jesus and in the New Testament, that it talks about coming at a time when we do not expect. We know when the second coming is going to take place. Don't we? The end of the tribulation period. But the rapture of the church, Jesus says, I come at a time that you do not know, that you least expect. So there's reasons why that I believe that we're going to be raptured before chapter 6 here. Before that tribulation period begins. Number one, the doctrine, as I just said, imminent return. It's all throughout the New Testament. Paul would write to the church at Thessalonica, chapter 1, verse 10. You can write some of these down. You can look it up. That we are to wait for a son from heaven who was raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Titus chapter 2, verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jude, verse 21. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. It means looking expectantly. Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. The Lord is at hand. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 29. The time is short. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. That our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 24, Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour that the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming and an hour that you do not expect. He said in another place, when you're least expected. So let me ask you this. Do you think that the Lord can come back tonight? Be careful. He says, when you're least expected. That does not fit into the post-tribulation, the pre-wrath, the mid-tribulation. Because there's all kinds of things that are going to be happening. So he's saying that it's going to happen when you're least expected. He says it's going to be in Luke's narrative, like the days of Noah. It's going to be like uh, the, the days of, of you know, Lot. The days of Noah, they, they were going on. They were given to marriage. They were living their lives, and they didn't know. That judgment was coming. 
They didn't expect it. And I'll tell you this, there was a whole lot of people that were wrong and eight people that were right. The days of Lot, when the angels came and said, Lot, get your family out, they thought the angels were joking. They were buying, they were selling, Jesus said. They weren't expecting the judgment to come. It's when they were least expecting it. And I believe that the raptured church can happen on an ordinary day like today. And I think that there seems to be, the scripture, some kind of normality that's going to be taking place. Two working in the field. Two that are going to be sleeping. It's a worldwide event. Two sleeping at night. Two working during the day. One will be taken. One will be left. So the rapture, very clearly, what I see, the doctrine of imminent return. Remember the church of Sardis that we read that they were told, therefore watch. If you don't watch, I'll come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Uh, we know that in 1 Thessalonians, after he talks about the, the rapture of the church, he says, concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, what's the day of the Lord? Tribulation period goes to the second coming of Jesus Christ, includes the millennium reign. He says, that day, the day of the Lord, that you should know that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, he's going back talking to Christians, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief, because you're sons of lights and sons of the day. And you have not been appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ. Hey, we're not children of the dark. The day of the Lord is a time of darkness. You're children of the day. Be sober, be watching. He goes on to say, you know, be paying attention. So the Christians in the early church were told to be looking for the Lord's return. And we are to be looking for Jesus Christ. Nowhere in the scripture does it say that we're to be looking for Antichrist. Or to be looking for the temple to be rebuilt. Or any of those things. Now sometimes people will say to me, Pastor... You know, you really shouldn't teach that the Lord can come at any time or a pre-trib, you know, rapture, because what if it doesn't happen? You know, and they're in the tribulation period. I'm just telling you what Paul taught and what Jesus commanded to look for the blessed hope for Jesus Christ. There are those who will come along and say, well, the pre-tribulation rapture is just a recent, you know, doctrine that came out in the 1800s, you know, with you know, that came out and all this time. Listen, here's the Diachi, the Diachi written in 120 AD, the early church leaders. This is what they wrote. Watch for your life's sake. Let not your lamps be quenched, nor your, your loins unloosened, but you be ready for you do not know the hour our Lord cometh. Writings from a, 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 one of the greatest figures in, in the Syrian church in seven uh, or 373 A.D., he says, All the saints and elect of God are gathered together before the tribulation which is to come and are taken to the Lord in order that they may not see at any time the confusion which overwhelms the, the world because of our sins. Listen, those who come along and say, Well, James McDonald and you know their first ones, say, it's a new doctrine. It's a bunch of baloney. There's all kinds of references throughout church history that they were looking for the return of the Lord. So that's why we see that it is told to us to be watching for the Lord. I believe the rapture can happen. There's no prophecy that needs to take place. 
And there are those who will say to you and to me that are looking for the Lord's return. Well, you know, you Christians that are looking for the rapture, it's just an escape. It's a cop out. You're sticking your heads in the sound and it's going to cause you to be carnal. That is not the heart of scripture. John said, when you shall see him, you shall be like him. And when you see him, it will have a purifying effect on your life. He who has this hope purifies himself is what John says. What hope? The hope of seeing the Lord. In other words, let me ask you this. If you really believe, and we don't know the day or the hour of the return of the Lord. We don't know. But if you believe that, could it be, could it be that the one who loves me so much, who died for me and said he's going to come back for me, if he could come back tonight, just maybe, are you going to be down at the bar drinking? Or pulling up things on the computer that you shouldn't? There's a purifying effect on our lives when each and every day we're looking for him and we're living for him. That maybe today my Lord will come. He'll come for us. But listen, tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. Tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. And I hope for you and for me that we would understand this, that the Lord promised that he's going to come back at a time where we're least expected. You know, I only got about halfway through what I wanted to teach tonight. But we're going to pick it up here next time. And there's many other reasons. Remember the promise that he gave to the church of Philadelphia that we saw a few weeks ago? He promised, he promised them, the faithful church, that I will take you out of and away from the hour of tribulation that shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. He did not say, I will take you through the hour of tribulation that comes upon the whole earth. There's only one time that that happens is the tribulation period. He said, I'm going to take you out of and away from the hour of tribulation. So many promises that are given to us that we see in the scriptures. And when we get to chapters 6 through 18, there's something that's missing in those chapters. And you know what it is? It's the church. The church is not mentioned. And we're going to see that. Church in chapters 2 and 3 mentioned, you know, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. When we get in chapter 6 through 18, we'll see tribulation saints. John sees them. He's asked, who are these? He says, I don't know who they are. If it was the church, John would know who they were. He says, these are those that come out of the great tribulation. And let them hear, who has an ear, let them hear what the Spirit says, period. Not to the churches, but he has an ear, let them hear. And then that's it. No church is mentioned. So we're going to talk more about this in this heavenly scene, the one on the throne, that which takes place around the throne. Absolutely amazing Bible study and then that which is before the throne, we'll pick it up here next time. But we want to get ready to go to the communion table. As Lord, we come and we went over some of these things, two verses, but they're powerful because we know that heaven is real for us. And Lord, I pray that our hearts would be stirred, that we live. Jesus said, when you begin to see these things come to pass, look up and rejoice for your redemption draws near. And Lord, we are seeing Israel back in the land. We see these significant events taking place that are screaming at us that the Lord's coming us soon. We don't know the day or the hour. But Lord, we want to be watching. The commandment of Jesus is to be watching and waiting and then to occupy till you come, Lord. 
Not to get lazy, lethargic, but Lord, to occupy. And Father, tonight we want to stop and we're going to come to the communion table and remember what Jesus did for us in going to the cross. Allowing his body to be broken and his blood shed for forgiveness of sin. The communion table is for the one for the one who is a Christian. Not because you joined our church, but one who is a believer in Christ is welcome to the communion table. So I want to invite anybody, if you're here and you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, will you get right with the Lord? Because he's the one on the throne. And Jesus, at the right hand of the Father, died for you. He came to this world to die for your sins. He was put into a grave. He rose again. He conquered sin and death. And he's alive. And the good news, the gospel is this, that he died for your sins because he loves you. And as you come and you confess that you're a sinner, that I need you, Jesus, for forgiveness, and you are Lord, and surrender your life to him, that you will be saved. Whosoever calls on a name, the Lord shall be saved. Get right with God. Get right with Jesus. Don't play games with your salvation because you cannot save yourself. And a church can't save you. And he is the door. There's none other. And you can pray right where you are if that's you. That Jesus, I come and I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. Forgive me. I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. I believe you are alive, speaking to my heart. And I ask that you sit upon the throne of my life. And I want to know you and walk with you. And I thank you for this newness of life. And I thank you for eternal life that is found in you. And that I now have the spirit of adoption that I can cry out, Abba, Father. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And listen, if you sincerely pray that, you're welcome to come to the communion table. And we want to hear from you at the end of the service. We'll have a prayer team. Come up and pray with them. Come and find me. But right now, as the communion elements are being handed out, I would ask that you'd hold on to them and we'll partake of them together.